This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. This, uh, this passage is one of the most, if not the most, read passages of Scripture at weddings. And uh, understandably so, it's poetic, it's beautiful. Uh, but the thing about this is that this was not written to describe marital love. That's not what the passage is about. This is about Christian love. Love to be embodied, demonstrated, manifested within the church. This passage, this love chapter is for us, people of Alliance Bible Church. So let me read and uh, we'll dive into this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor in order to give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the Apostle Paul penned these words and he was writing to a young church in Corinth. It was a brilliant church, it was a growing church, a church filled with talented and gifted people. Uh, They were visionary, they were ready to move mountains, they were willing to give away everything, they were philanthropic, they were willing to die for the movement. They were so gifted that they had great gifts of insight and knowledge and speaking. They got revelations from God. They did miracles. They could heal. Verses 1 to 3 describes everything they are. But verses 4 to 7 is a catalog of everything they're not. Paul is saying in spite of all these incredible gifts and this brilliance, they're characterized in their corporate life by disputes, by fighting, by pride, by coldness, rudeness, self-exaltation, impatience with each other. It's really a bombshell. The evidence of the Spirit's work among the church is not in spiritual gifts. It's not in gifting or philanthropic endeavors or even willingness to die for the movement. The evidence of the Spirit's work among the church is Christian love. One of our values here is gospel community. The church is a taste of heaven. One of our values. Now why? Why is that a value? Why is the church supposed to be a taste of heaven? Because it's the new Eden. Why? Because it's a harbinger of the new heavens and the new earth. Why? Because it's the dwelling place of God. Now what makes the church the dwelling place of God? It's the Spirit's presence. And Paul is saying Christian love is the primary virtue of the dwelling place of God. 
So we're in this for three Sundays. Last week we looked at part one, love is patient. That is, love has a long fuse. Love is not touchy. Love is long-suffering. Today, we're going to look at um, one sentence in verse four. Love does not envy. Okay? Love does not envy. Here are the three points. What is envy? Why it's unloving? And how we overcome it? Okay? What is envy? Why it's unloving? And how we overcome it? First, what is envy? Uh, Envy is the name of a movie. It's the name of a rock band. It's the name of software. But what is it? What does it mean? Let me give you a definition and then we'll unpack that. Envy is a spirit of dissatisfaction that arises when we see another person's prosperity, happiness, or honor. It's ultimately a spirit of dissatisfaction. Megan Hill's book that I just gave out will be wonderful to read in conjunction with this message. Envy is a spirit of dissatisfaction that arises when we see another person's prosperity, happiness, or honor. We compare what we have to what they have and we're dissatisfied with what we have. We're dissatisfied with what's in front of us. So the prosperity of others makes us feel second rate. The happiness of others makes us feel substandard. The, honors other, the honor others enjoy makes us feel inadequate. So envy always involves comparing. It always involves comparing. And in our social media saturated world, this is an epidemic. We might look at another person's luxuries and feel this spirit of dissatisfaction. We look at the home they live in, the vehicle they drive, the oceanside vacation spot they go to every year. We might feel envious over another person's beauty, the clothes they wear, their height, their weight, their figure, their complexion. The spirit of dissatisfaction might grow in reaction to seeing someone else's professional advancement as we watch them climb the ladder, leaving us behind. We might experience the spirit of dissatisfaction when we look at another person's skills and compare them to our own. We, We feel defeated when we compare what they have to what we have. So envy is the tendency to react negatively to the blessings others receive. It's ultimately a spirit of dissatisfaction. Now envy is illustrated numerous places throughout scripture, but maybe one of the most graphic places is in Numbers 11. The context is this, God had just miraculously freed Israel from slavery in Egypt, and in Egypt they had been badly abused God performed a miracle, uh, miracle after miracle after miracle to get them out. He parts the Red Sea. He destroys the Egyptian army. They're free. No more abuse. No more tyranny. No more oppression. They breathed in the fresh air of freedom. But something happened. Suddenly, their freedom wasn't good enough anymore. Let me read it to you. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and garlic. But now... We have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. 
<laughs> now in verse six, the people of Israel make a comment that many translations miss. Verse six in the NIV reads, but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. But word for word, the verse translates, and now our souls are dried up over food. Over food. Now this is not just a desire for something they don't have. (laughs) The condition is far worse than that. Envy is a condition that deeply poisons us. It makes us unable to enjoy what's in front of us ever. It's a condition of the heart that says, back there, over there, up there, I could be happy. But right now, what's in front of me isn't good enough. Look at the flaws. Look at what's wrong with it. Envy is a spirit of dissatisfaction that arises when we see another person's prosperity, happiness, honor, beauty, success. Many of you probably remember the glory days of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, if, you, if you were not alive when Michael Jordan played, I'm sorry for you. Um, Michael Jordan, most of us know that name, even if you weren't able to watch him. Um, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, NBA basketball player of all time. But there was another player on the Chicago Bulls team, actually a very good player, uh, who simply got overshadowed by Jordan. His name was Scottie Pippen. Towards the end of his career, Pippen was playing for the Portland Trailblazers. And at that time, Gary Thomas, a writer for Sports Illustrated, did a feature on Pippen. And this is what he wrote. He said, Scottie Pippen was born into a small house crammed with a lot of people. He didn't have much as a boy, but his journey into the NBA changed all of that. In 1999, he was writing a contract that promised him at least $14.7 million a year through the year 2002. Together with endorsements, Pippen is virtually certain to walk into another $50 million over the course of the next three years. And that's after already having enough money to own a 74-foot yacht and a $100,000 Mercedes. Thomas writes, but it's not enough. Before every game in Portland's Rose Garden, Pippen only has eyes for one. As he walks onto the court, he'll let his gaze drift over to the courtside seat occupied by Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft and owner of both the Trailblazers and Seattle Seahawks, a man with a personal net worth of $40 billion. Pippin looks at his employer's geeky exterior and wonders, how does he do it? Pippin says this, he's an amazing guy to look at, his voice rising. What does he have? 40 billion? I want to know, how can I make a billion? I just want one of them. What do I need to do? Tell me how I can make a billion dollars. Tell me how I can become a billionaire. Now, if you ask most people making $50,000 a year if they'd be happy bringing in $15 million like Pippin was, 99.99% of them are going to think, that's enough. I'm good with that. 
You see what's happening in Pippin's heart, in his mind? He looks at what he has. He looks at what Paul Allen has. And suddenly what he has isn't good enough. Envy is a spirit of dissatisfaction that arises in us when we see another person's prosperity, happiness, honor, beauty, or success. That's envy. Second, why it's unloving. Why is envy unloving? Well, envy isn't just dissatisfaction. It tends not just to stay there as dissatisfaction with one's own prosperity. It also tends toward negative thoughts of the person envied or the situation of the person envied. It it tends towards judgmentalism, ill will, even dislike. Now the exterior might be all put together and neat and clean, but in the mind, that individual is running through different scenarios in which calamity comes upon the person envied. So embedded within envy is comparing, and it's envy's very nature to harbor resentment towards another. When you push deeper into this, envy is two things simultaneously. It's two things simultaneously. It's elevated self-love and a deficiency of loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's both. This is why it's unloving. Now, the scriptures are even more to the point than this. When the Apostle Paul expounds love in the book of Romans, he painted a picture of it in Romans 12, 15 with a very simple exhortation. What's it say? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. By its very nature, envy is the opposite of this. Envy doesn't do this. So in its mildest form, envy is indifferent, indifferent towards another's success. In its severest form, envy nurses grudges against another for their success. Envy is a failure to do Romans 12, 15. It's a failure to rejoice with those who rejoice. See, envy often gets a shrug of the shoulders by Christians today. And I don't think we treat it with the seriousness it deserves. Let me show you the severity of it. Paul writes in Galatians 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Living in a state of unrepentant dissatisfaction with our own condition in comparison to another's is just as great a threat to your eternal destiny as someone living in a state of unrepentant sexual sin. See, a headache, a headache might be a symptom of not wearing sunglasses while you're driving. It might be. Or it might be a symptom of a brain tumor. 
It might be something very light and passing, or it might be something deep. The Bible says envy is not a symptom of having driven without sunglasses. God is telling us envy is a symptom that there is something deep and profoundly wrong with us. We need to feel the weight of this. We need to feel the weight of this. Do you feel the weight of this? Preachers at times need to provide some levity and I'll do that through a story I heard years ago that to this day is the story I think about when I see envy in others or detect it in myself. There was a hip young man who bought one of the best cars in town. It was a Ferrari GTO. Ferrari GTO. He took it out for a spin, he stopped at a red light, and then there was an older man who pulled up next to him in a moped. And the old man looked over at this sleek, shiny car, and, and the windows were down. He asked the, uh, the driver, he said, what kind of car you got there? A Ferrari GTO. It cost half a million dollars. That's a lot of money, the old man said. Why does it cost so much? Because this car can do up to 320 miles an hour, stated the young man proudly. At this point, the, the man on the moped had somewhat jealous look on his face. It was mild at the time, but you could tell it was increasing. So he, he turned to the driver. He said, mind if I poke my head in there and take a look? No problem, the owner replied. So the old man poked his head in the window. He, he ogled it for a bit, and then he sit, sat back on his moped, and the envy rising now. The old man said, that's a pretty nice car, all right. Well, just then the light changed, and you know this young man in the vehicle he had decided to show the old man what his car could do. So he floored it, and within 15 seconds, the speedometer read 160 miles an hour. But suddenly, he noticed a dot in his rearview mirror, and it was getting closer. He slowed down to see what it could be, and whoosh, something whipped by him going faster than he was. What on earth, he said, could be going faster than my Ferrari? Then then ahead of him, he saw a dot coming back towards him, and whoosh, it went back him, past him going the other way. And the young man said, that looks like the old man on the moped. <laughs> Couldn't be. How can a moped outrun a Ferrari? Once more, though, he saw the dot in his rearview mirror. It was getting closer, followed by a bang as the speeding object crashed in the back of his car. The young man jumped out. He saw the old man lying on the pavement. He ran to him and asked, is there anything I can do for you? The old man whispered, Unhook my suspenders from your side view mirror. (laughs) When I heard that story, I thought to myself, that is envy. That is envy. You give into it, it sucks you in, and it's a trap, a death nail. It is envy. It sucks you in, it's a trap. Let's look last at how we can overcome it. I'll mention two things. Number one, remember God's providential distribution. 
Remember God's providential distribution. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There's a place in the book of Acts where Paul is talking to the people of Athens and he says, it is God who gives all human beings life, breath, and everything else. Everything else. The blessing of financial prosperity has come from God. The blessing of professional success has come from God. Your skills, your looks, all you have has come from God. What you have did not originate with you. What you have has been given by God. What the person next to you has has been given to them. Everything, everybody has comes from God in the first place. That's God's providential distribution. There's a place where this is illustrated in John 3. Let me read it. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Let me give you the context for it. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John was preaching for a couple of years before Jesus comes on the scene and John's preaching drew uh, a crowd. There were people following him. But when Jesus came onto the scene, people started leaving John and following Jesus. That of course was John's goal. He was trying to get rid of the crowd following him and to get them to follow Jesus. Well, some of those in John's crowd became envious of Jesus and the large crowds that he was attracting. They were looking at the numbers. They were comparing. They were getting jealous because Jesus' numbers were bigger. The whole context for the scene has envy written all over it. Now look at how John responds to the envious people who were with him. Look at how he responds. Listen, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. What you have is from God. What the person next to you has is from God. The money, the looks, the skills that you envy in another person were given to them by God. Your envy of another individual is ultimately a problem you have with God. Rather than reacting by saying, look at all the money they have. Look at all the skills they have. Look at, look at the beauty they have. Look at all the comforts and the conveniences they have. Rather than saying that, why not instead say, look at what God has given them. Look at what God has given them. When you come to see that everything everybody has comes from God, it makes a big difference in the way you respond to the blessings others, other people receive. What they receive is out of your hands. What they receive is out of theirs. It all comes from God. Second, embody the gospel. 
Envy is the tendency to react negatively to the prosperity, the success, the honor, the authority, the perks, the blessings that others receive. Envy is, the, is ultimately the desire to see others less blessed in comparison to you. It, it's ultimately a desire to see blessings withheld from the people around us. We'd, we'd rather be just a notch up from them. Not, we'd rather see them not get something that we don't have. So let's think about that. What if God had done that with us? What if God had withheld blessings from us just to keep us a few notches down? What if God had had withheld the most expensive gift he could have ever given? What if God had withheld his son? God has lavished a prosperous blessing on us in the gift of his son Jesus. Jesus got demoted so we could be promoted. Jesus became poor so we could become rich. Jesus, though the radiance of God's glory, the epitome of beauty became unattractive so we could be made beautiful. The father turned his face away from the son, ignoring him, so we might one day sit on thrones reigning with him. Jesus, if you will, became the pimple-faced, overweight loner of a nerd, so we might become the new creation of God. The gospel is contrary to envy. Envy seeks to withhold blessings. The gospel seeks to give it. If you want to see the spirit of dissatisfaction dissipate in your life, think about the lengths Jesus went to to promote you, to raise you up, to make you rich, to make you beautiful, to give you loving attention. Think about the lengths he went to. And not only does Jesus pay a price to promote you, to bless you, but once you've been blessed, once you've been promoted, once you've been raised up, you know what he does? By prophecy, Zephaniah told us, He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. (laughs) Rejoice with those who rejoice. Envy is the desire to see blessings withheld. The gospel seeks to give blessing. Envy is the tendency to react negatively to the blessings others receive. The gospel rejoices over the blessings others receive. Pastor and poet George Herbert put it this way. He said, there is no greater sign of holiness than the procuring and rejoicing in another's good. This is what Jesus has done. This is what he's done for you in the gospel. He's procured our good and he rejoices over it. May that characterize our relationships with one another. May we, as a community, the dwelling place of God, seek to procure blessings for those around us and rejoice over them when they are blessed. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us rest content that everything anybody has has come from you. 
you have allotted and distributed according to your mysterious providence. Nothing we possess is ours to claim. Nothing we are is ours to boast in. God, we need your spirit to change us into people who readily rejoice with those who rejoice. Make us a community of people known for that. Make us a community of people who are known for not being quick to compare, but quick to rejoice with those who rejoice. Make us gospel people who procure blessings for others and then celebrate with them over those. I pray, God, that ABC and the global church on this issue would be a breath of fresh air. We ask all these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen.